The Animation Podcast, July 26th, 2005. Go infinity! 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 I'm just drawn that way. I'd like to work with you if you don't mind. You will join me for death. Oh, goody. Now it's like this, little britches. And beyond. Hey, everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to show number five of the animation podcast. This is the second part of the Nick Ranieri series. In case you don't know who Nick is, he was the supervising animator of such memorable characters as Lumiere, Miko, Hades, and Cusco. And most recently, he finished work on Chicken Little, which comes out later this year. And he was the supervisor of the dad character, Buck Cluck. When part one ended, Nick was talking about working at his first job in animation at Atkinson's in Canada. So here's part two, and we'll pick up right from there. I started out as an in-betweener, a very full of myself in between her mm-hmm. and the animation there wasn't very good and, and I was just like oh unbearable when it came to you know criticizing and you know I, I actually you know, I, I did hear once that you had a list <laughs> yeah rating the animators and yeah <laughs> stupid things like but you know that's that's comes from uh, naivety you know ignorance mm-hmm. uh, but then who hasn't done things they regret? I'm just voicing them now. You know? <laughs> right. But, <laughs> but you know, uh, eventually it got to the point where people, you know, some of the management was coming down on me and they said, you could be promoted, but you're acting like a jerk, so knock it off. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. So eventually I realized that that's not the way, you know, you do things. You, you don't treat people like that. You got to get a really... Um, Constructive criticism and and just, uh, you know, you're always constantly learning. You can learn from people. And mm-hmm. that's sort of from there. It started to get better, you know, every place I went. It took me a long time. And I've learned, one thing I learned, though, you know, the, the higher you think of yourself, the harder you fall when some young punk comes along and shows you up. Yeah, there's a lot of good kids coming yeah. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. So you always got to be improving. I guess if you don't, you're just going to be out of the game eventually. Yeah. Yeah, I you just uh, uh, take what you can learn. I mean, uh, there were some good people there, but you wouldn't know uh, because the pressure. There were some bad people, mm-hmm. but there were some good people. But none of them were allowed to show what they had because of the um, time constrictions and the footage constrictions. Yeah. After that, Jamie Olaf left and went down to Montreal to work at this company called Pascal Blake. And uh, he was there for about, I don't know, six, seven months. I was getting tired of Atkinson's, and he says, why don't you come on down? You know, had an interview, and I went down to Pascal Blay and spent almost a year there doing commercials. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't spend a year there. I just spent like six months there doing commercials, and the other six months we spent sitting around waiting mm. to get work. You but know. doing the commercials, that was... They expected a little higher quality, right? Oh yeah, he Pascal is very. He really wanted high quality work. Uh, he was really into animation and Disney and uh-huh. that type of stuff. He wanted full quality animation. So I was just jazzed that you know commercials at the time. Commercials were the you know except for feature animation, 
commercials were the the higher quality because yeah, there was only really one feature product and it was disney right no actually um at that time it was bluth disney you know black Cauldron hadn't even come out yet mm-hmm. and the last thing they did was fox and the hound and disney was dying slowly and you know all the old guys left and all that so in the early 80s no one really thought about disney too much but yeah. the bluth bluth was coming up he just you know, everyone was flipping out over uh, Secret of Nim, and mm-hmm. all of a sudden, oh, he's doing a secret project with uh, Spielberg. Oh, that's going to be great. You know, we've got uh, classic animation. They're really pushing for classical animation and all this. And uh, a couple of Dave Nethery, who was an American, got a job and went down to Bluth, and everyone mm-hmm. was like envying him. And oh, it was so great. He's so lucky to go down and work for Bluth and all that. And where was that located? That was down in uh, Van Nuys. They had, oh, okay. had a studio down there, and that was before they moved to Ireland. Right, because right. that's all I had known is the Bluth is Ireland, and yeah, you know. but this was before they were working on American Tale um, mm-hmm. down there, and so we were all envious because we were stuck up. This was still when I was at Atkinson's, and we knew we couldn't get into Disney because Disney was really tight. Yeah, um, and you and shrinking. You, well, yeah, yeah, and you had you needed also uh, none of us were Americans, and the Americans who were Americans left. Mm-hmm. You know, to go down to those places. And the only thing that was open to us was commercial houses. That was the only quality. There was no other features going on except for like Care Bear features and mm-hmm. stuff like that, which we really didn't want to work on. Mm-hmm. So we went over, I went over down to Montreal and did, uh, worked on some commercials. They, I did a commercial for um, Diet Coke that they had used the character of Obelix from Asterix. Oh, yeah. And he, it was live action animation combination. So I had him carrying a big bottle of Coke in place of a rock like he usually carries in the comic books mm-hmm. and stuff. And So I did that, and he had this little um, um, ladle, and he had Diet Coke in it, fully animated. They put highlights, they put shadows, they put the whole thing. They just they went to town on it, and that was you know a great experience. But then they started running out of work again, and they didn't have any work. And so he lent me out to different places, and... And eventually, I just uh, I got a call from uh, Greg Duffel in Toronto, who owned the Lightbox commercial animation place, and he says, "I want to come down." And I saw your work, and I said, "You did?" And he goes, "Yeah, I heard that you did these little vignettes for um, this local TV station." And these little vignettes I did were, uh, there's this, um, there was a show called Chuck the Security Guard, and it was on this local station in, in Toronto way back in the late 70s. And he'd show old TV shows and old movies and uh-huh. goofy stuff. And my brother connected with the producer of that. And they said, you want to do a couple little um, you know, teasers, little... Um, like bumpers? Was, bumpers, yeah. And I said, yeah, okay. So we, I worked at a caricature of the, the host. And we did these little bumpers. And I did them on cell. And I painted them. And, and that was my first foray into 2D uh, cell animation. Mm-hmm. Wow, that... Uh, of course, I didn't know anything. I mean, I animated on paper, but I, <laughs> it's difficult. I'm drawing it. It's like, man, this is, these are too much drawings. This is before Atkinson's. This is even before Sheridan, uh-huh. before I even got into Sheridan. Okay. So I'm like animating on fives because, you know, no one's going to notice, <laughs> you know. It's a, and, of course, uh, as I started to see this stuff, I realized, you know, wow, that's – I didn't realize how much work goes into this. Uh-huh. They're like hundreds, hundreds of drawings. They just don't, you know, <laughs> put it on fives and hope, that, you know, the eye will, you know, blur it. You know, it doesn't work that way. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of it was really jerky and choppy. And 
a couple of times cycles they're on twos you know one two one two one two uh-huh. one two you know all that stuff is really bad but i painted it up and did all the backgrounds and everything and and you know shot them on super eight and and they transferred them wow, over you're, you made a whole studio yourself but basically i got you know my brother to help me uh, paint cells and stuff like that uh-huh. so we did all of this stuff and uh we got them done and transferred and everything and that's what he saw Wow, so that had been floating around for how many years? Well, a bunch of years. I he said he told uh, Greg Duffel told me later. He says, "Well, I, when I looked at that, I, I looked at it. And I saw somebody who was really, really loved the art and had a lot of potential. Who just didn't know the the stuff, hmm. you know, um, uh, very well. And so, based on those, and uh, I think I sent him a, a reel of some of the stuff I did on raccoons. And uh-huh. this, he said, "You want to come work for me?" And I said, "Well, I'm." I don't have any contract with Pascal Blay and he really didn't have any work. And so I left and Jamie came with me, you know, basically uh-huh. we both left because there really wasn't much work in, in Montreal. So we went to Toronto and his place, it was really tough to work at because he had high expectations, but he also had a partner and the partner had uh, financial and, you know, time constraints, expectations and uh, he wanted it good and she wanted it fast and never the two should meet yeah. we didn't have any testing facilities it was like shoot it on film ship it out wait the next day and get it back as a pencil test to see how we worked that i wasn't that experienced i didn't have the chops to be able to f- flip it and roll it and i mean even even when i got to disney i was tied to a, the scene machine or mm-hmm. whatever testing machine we had right you know, if they wanted fast results, I needed fast results. Yeah, I've results. always wondered that, like, about, you know, in the old days when they had to do the same thing, shoot it out and get it back the next day. Do you think that forces you to learn faster? I think it forces you to, I mean, that's just like saying, uh, I don't know how the people did their laundry before dish, uh, you know, washing machines. Mm-hmm. You just did it. Right. You didn't know any better, right? right? Right. But we started to have testing machines, and that helped speed us up. And that I think, for me, testing machines helped because I was able to get familiar with certain actions and how long it took to do certain things yeah. and how long it took for things to get from one place to another. Right. And so I was, I had less of the time at the machine because I started to sort of remember, you know, oh, I remember in this last scene it took me this much time and this seemed to work in this many frames. So right. I can, I'll just, I'll try it there first. And yeah, that's, that's kind of something I've, I've been telling people. It's like, try to learn from, you know, either the stuff that doesn't work or stuff that does work, but always be paying attention because if you don't, you'll just, you won't get better. You'll just keep making the same choices. Yeah. Knowing that something takes four frames to do this or six frames to do that. And But it's always a springboard. I mean, in some places, yeah. sometimes, depending on what they're doing, uh, it could be too short or too long. Uh, it could be faster in this scene because it's, you know, warranted. So he didn't have any testing machines. In it, and I was just, again, my, you know, cockiness. And uh, I was, it was out of frustration, too. But, you know, he was spending a lot of money on, like, uh, Amiga computers and it, for what I don't know, huge conference room tables, huge all this stuff he's spending the money on. But it's like our job is animation. Buy a testing machine, just one, yeah. And I will and I will try to increase the speed. It was for me, but it was also for him. If they wanted fast turnover, you needed to think of your artists first because we were going nuts. Mm-hmm. I, I I can't wait a day. I need to have it now so I can fix it and just keep testing it until it's done. And you'll get it. You know, you'll get it faster. But he didn't want to hear that. It's not the way the old guys did it. So I'm like, Ugh. so I just I did what I could, and and you know I get the stuff back. It wasn't right. I'm like, oh man, I, I could just fix this little part, but then it would take another day, and I have to go out and I get the test back. Yeah. And 
oh man, it was a nightmare. And of course I'd miss my deadlines. I get my salary cut sometimes by 50%. Uh, you know, I would sleep under my desk a couple of nights. I'd stay there all night trying Mm -hmm. to finish this. It was, it was terrible. Eventually, I started writing this stuff down on pieces of paper, you know, like things what, what types of things, <laughs> things like, you know, big black conference table, $20,000, a useless Amiga computer, $15,000, testing machine, $20,000, you save 10000 you know, all this yeah, stuff. Yeah. I didn't really hand it to him. I just sort of had it up on my shelf. But for some reason, he found it. I think he was like searching through my desk at night or something. I don't know what. But um, he found it. And he and we had a big meeting with everyone. And he sat down at this big table. And he handed out two sheets of paper. One was what I had written, copied. A photocopy? A photocopy. And two was the same thing, only blown up. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just went, Ugh. And he looked at me and says, one question, Nick. How long will it take you to clean out your desk? Oh, and and I'm like, and I said about two hours, and then we spent the last next two hours um, going over why this had happened, and I just I can't do it. And then later on, we realized that we were both to blame in different ways, and he just said, you know, sorry, we can't work together. And I said, you know, maybe one day, but I, I just, you know, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, I I, yeah. I have a I need a crutch. Yeah, and it's it's hard when there's a resource that. It's, you're not being able to use. Yeah. Just, I mean, I know that's the way they did in the old days, but I, I don't think of myself as a Frank Thomas or a Milk Call. I don't think I'm there yet. Mm-hmm. I, I never thought I was there yet, you know? Right. Um, and this, it's all about commercials. They never did commercials back then. I'm, I'm sure they did a lot of stuff, you know, I had to do shorts and things yeah. like that, but it's different. Anyway, so I left and... So I was out of work, sitting around. It was like 87, 1987. And a friend of mine, uh, Cal Duke, who worked with me on our student film, we worked together with mm-hmm. Rick Sluter, he, uh, he was also out of work. and said, well, let's head over to England. We heard that this Roger Rabbit film was starting up. Mm-hmm. So um, I, we got a bunch of stuff, and we uh, I had a lot of money saved because uh, I was very frugal and you were single things. right i was single i got very cheap apartments i you know studio apartments that mm-hmm. was it i had a futon i carried with me i didn't spend a lot of stuff when, when i was at atkinson's i tell you everybody was like you know hey man can you lend me 10 bucks till next payday i i blew my money on beer man you know <laughs> i'm like what are you talking about you you make like nine bucks an hour i, I i'm at like 525 and, and i have to loan you money you know <laughs> anyway, so, uh, I, but they saw me as not having any fun. But, uh, you know, it wasn't about that. But uh, did you feel like you were living to animate? I mean, was that like that's your pretty sole much what focus? It, that's is... pretty much what it was. I really had nothing, you, you know, social life. No, I didn't. I was, it was more about just trying to hone my craft yeah. and trying to learn as much as possible. Yeah. Um, I mean, there, there's a big drive, especially when you know you're not where you want to be. Yeah. And it, and and it, it lot, eats you up. And some of those guys, they had families. Mm-hmm. They had kids, and, you know. So, uh, yeah, they uh, they had a lot of uh, different things going on. And, and I was basically, I could sleep under my desk. I was in my 20s. I could do that type right. of stuff. So you uh, you guys went to England, so we went to yeah. but did you call or did you write ahead or well here's say the, we're coming or? here's the interesting thing um, we thought we would just go and hit the studios who there did you were, call there were a lot in London at the there time a lot right? of London so what we did is we first we flew to Dublin 
we, we thought, well, we'll check. We'll try Bluth first because they're still working on feature animation. Let's see if we can get in there. Mm-hmm. We'll try Bluth. We'll try all the other studios. We'll hit all those, and then we'll pick the best ones, uh, whichever ones we can, okay. you know, get in. You know, everyone is interested in us. So we got to, to Dublin, and we were just down the street from the studio in a, in a hotel or something. We walked into the front door the first day. We were there for like three days, mm-hmm. and we we're going to spend three days there. And we're going to then fly over to London and then come back and fly out of Dublin because return tickets and all that. And we thought, okay, three days should be enough. Yeah, we're uninvited. But if they can't give us an interview today, maybe they can in another day or so. So we walk in and we said, yeah, we'd like to get a job. But we just came in town and we're we're looking for work and all this. We're from Canada and all. Fill out this information. We filled it all out. And says, uh, can we have an interview? Um, Say, well, John Palmer is busy. Okay, well, what about tomorrow? Could we come back tomorrow? You know? Okay, yeah, come back tomorrow. So I came back. I left my tape with them to take a look at. Probably your one tape you had, right? Yeah. Yeah. Only one tape I had because it was a in PAL mm-hmm. format. And then I left and uh, we tooled around the town for a bit and looked at Dublin. And then the next day we came back. They say, can we have an interview now? Oh, uh, well, he's still busy. He can't see anybody right now. And we... You know, he hasn't looked at look at your tape or anything. Okay, well, what about the next day? And she goes, well, tell you what, how long are you going to be here for? And I said, you know, probably to, tomorrow. And the next day we're leaving for London. And then we're going to come back. And Well, why don't you do this? Why don't you leave your portfolio here and your tape and go to London, enjoy yourself, and then come back and pick it up and um, we'll let you know. And I said, well, how about this? Since you're not the only fish in the sea and I got a lot of other studios... How about I take my tape in my portfolio and I go to London and say goodbye, <laughs> which is what I did. Uh-huh. So, and you call me if they're interested. Now, that was cocky in a way, but in a way it, it wasn't. I mean, yeah, we didn't come invited, but the idea that we traveled across the ocean mm-hmm. at least give us a little bit of a break. Right. So anyway, went over to London, checked out all the studios that we could find, a lot of them in Soho and all that. We ended up in Camden Town, Richard Williams, because we thought, oh, Richard Williams directing. So we're mm-hmm. so I walked in. the The guy that was headed up the studio looked at my stuff, looked at my drawings, really liked it, and he was says, "Yeah, uh, you got a lot of good stuff there, and we're really interested in you." And I said, "Yeah, I've heard about you know Roger Rabbit." And he goes, "Oh, you want the feature Disney, uh-huh. Disney UK? That's what you want." It's like, "What? This isn't it? No, this is his commercial house." Uh-huh. So he gave me the number of Don Hahn. And I went over and I sat in Don Hahn's office for the first time. It was like July. And I, <laughs> he's like, uh, looked at my resume. He took my tape and basically said, well, you know, we'll take a look at it. But, you know, uh, you don't have that much experience with animation. And, uh, and how many years were you doing animation by now? Oh, well, that was 87. So I've only been professionally doing animation for about three years uh-huh. or so. I did a really stupid thing on my reel because I'm very chronologically oriented is you you put a list down you start number one you go to number 20 you know so you started with the worst stuff right yeah basically (laughs) i started here's 90 you know 79 today (laughs) i didn't reverse it you Uh know even my resume was like that it's it was all you know one two three four five and so all of a sudden they turn this on they see all this the cheesy raccoon stuff and they didn't even get to the commercial work at all before they obviously they probably just turned it off and said no this guy is Uh you know maybe an in-betweener so he said well we looked at your work and it just wasn't up to par and so maybe an in-betweener or an assistant but we don't give visas 
for assistance. Mm. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sorry that we can't help you. Cal, who was traveling with me, he got in on a work visa. And I think it had something to do with relatives from France or something like that. My dad's from Italy mm-hmm. originally, and he worked for the Italian consulate. And he got myself and my brother Italian passports. And I said, well, um, would it help if I told you that I had an Italian passport? And then he stopped and he said, welcome aboard. So we started on Roger Rabbit as in-betweeners. So that concludes part two with Nick Ranieri. I'm not sure how many parts there will be finally. Uh, I have a lot of audio to go through and Nick had a lot of great stories to tell and I want to share those with everybody. So we'll see when we get there. Um, The first thing I wanted to mention is that I got an email a while back from a listener named Stefan who uh, had a great idea about the Wikipedia. And the Wikipedia is an online encyclopedia where anyone can contribute to it. So Stefan was suggesting that I put the word out that if there's anyone out there with knowledge about animation or animation history, that you go to the Wikipedia and you share what you know so that other people can go and it can hopefully become a good resource for people who want to learn more about animation. So thanks for the suggestion, Stefan. Hopefully uh, people will uh, share what they know. And the second thing I want to do is answer a question I've received from a lot of people and they are wondering, how am I involved in animation? And the short answer to that is that I've worked at Disney Feature Animation for 11 years and I've been animating for over half that time. Now I'm finishing my work on Chicken Little, and next I'll be a supervising animator on Chris Sanders' next movie called American Dog. So I may go into more detail some other time, but I just wanted to cover that for now, since people have been asking. Now I'll get to some of the voice messages people have left. Um, Neither of these two guys left their names, but I still appreciate the calls. Just wanted to say that Animation Podcast is a remarkable source of information, and I love that it's out there. So thank you very much for making it. It's great to have these wonderful greats of animation in your living room or in your backyard while you're doing yard work. It's just amazing, and thanks for doing it, and keep it up. Bye. Well, thanks for the nice message, and here's the second one. Hey, Clay, I really enjoyed your fourth show. Nick was really interesting, and it just was actually really inspiring. I'm not in animation myself, but I'm an aspiring movie maker. I'm 16 and live in West Boylston, and uh, I've been listening to your show since it came out. It's really great to hear some good things about animation and to hear people know what they're talking about. It's funny because when you first introduced Nick at the beginning of the show, you had mentioned something to the nature of somebody who had a sick sense of humor, or a twisted one, and was from Canada. At first, I was believing that you were going to have John Kay on the show, one of my favorite animators, of course, the creator of Spumco and Brennan Stimpy. I just thought that I'd bring it up and mention that uh, if you could get him on the show, that'd be great. Nobody's really done a really heartfelt interview with him. If anybody's going to be able to do it, it'd probably be you, Clay. I've really enjoyed your show. Keep up the great work. Thanks, guys. You make my day. All right, bye. So I don't know John Kay, but I know a few people that have worked at Spumco, and I'm a huge fan of his, and I would love to interview him, so um, I don't think it's out of the question. So even though I obviously can't guarantee anything, I'll definitely look into it. And the next message is from Lexi, and she actually recorded her message and emailed it to me. So that's the first for the show, so thanks, Lexi. And here's her message. Hi, Clay. My name's Lexi, and, well, I stayed up way too late listening to this, but 
I'd really like to thank you for your efforts in providing this service to us listeners. I'm an 18-year-old with an absolute fascination with animation, and I'm heading into college next year at UMass Lowell, actually, and if I can get some money together, I'd love to go to a school like CalArts. What I'm calling to say is that I'd really like to thank you for firing up my enthusiasm for animation once again. It was your podcasts with Andrea's Deja that maybe wanted us to rewatch every single piece of animation that I've ever seen before and then go further and see every piece of animation ever made. I mean, it fascinates me that much. I adore hand-drawn animation especially and find it the most beautiful art form that there is and can't wait to get into that field if I can. And I would love to have any advice that you could possibly give somebody in my situation just starting up. Anything would be useful. Anything, I mean, I listened to what Andrea said about studying the figure and doing a lot of traditional art to try to get a good basis, and that's what I'm doing right now, actually. I'm learning so much from that, but I'd love to hear some of your advice or from something you've picked up from your experience. So uh, thank you for your time, and I really hope to hear from you. Okay, Lexi, that's a pretty broad question, but here's a couple things I would definitely suggest. The first is to draw all the time and get good at it, and it doesn't matter which medium of animation you're going into. I think if you asked any animator if they wished they could draw better, they would all say yes. I'm pretty sure I've never heard anyone say, oh man, I wish I didn't draw so well. And the value of drawing is just being able to communicate ideas and whether they're character designs or storyboards or thumbnails for a shot, the better you draw, the easier those things become. There's no downside to it at all. And uh, if you're wondering what to draw, I'd say draw everything, which is broad but true. Um, Do figure drawing to learn anatomy. Keep a sketchbook to capture observations of people and places and to draw from your imagination. And for me, the type of drawing that supports animation the most is gesture drawing. I was blessed to have Walt Stanchfield for a gesture drawing teacher at Disney. He was so good at getting to the heart of a pose and telling a story with a single drawing. And when I'm planning out my shots and doing thumbnails, those are basically just gesture drawings. It's like everything that he taught in his classes, that's where I'm using it. Each month he would come to Disney to teach his class and he'd bring a handout called his Words of Wisdom. And they would include drawings from the previous classes and and notes on drawing or just creative thoughts. And these handouts are totally amazing and inspiring to read. Luckily for everybody, AnimationMeet.com has put a ton of these online. And it's definitely not all of them, but there's certainly enough to keep you busy for days. And these are things you can always go back to to refresh your memory and just to get reinvigorated about drawing. So there's a link to Animation Meet on my site. So go there, check them out, and uh, see what Walt Stanchfield's all about. And the second thing I would suggest for anyone learning animation is to do at least some traditional hand-drawn animation. And you don't have to do a short or anything. You just, I'd say just experiment. And the reason for this is with traditional animation, you're only limited by what you can draw. There's no limitation on the shapes you can get or the way joints can bend or how much curve you get in a gesture. It's all up to you. And you'll see once you start posing CG rigs that there are limitations. You know, things don't bend certain ways. And if you start pulling things apart, they just, they'll break. And um, to me, that's a horrible way to start learning animation because you're already learning restrictions. So if you go the other way, you'll learn what you like and what looks good to you. And hopefully the things you learn doing 2D animation will inform your CG animation. And I think it'll get you to push your CG rigs further than they should go. And uh, you may end up breaking it sometimes, but if that's the effect you need, then that's what you have to do. And also in 2D, when you're drawing a pose on a blank sheet of paper, you're thinking about where everything goes as you draw it. 
But with CG, the rig's already there and you move the parts into place until it looks right. And in the end, both approaches have the same goal, but I think in CG it's easy to be fooled into thinking it looks right just because everything's already there. But I think that means you almost have to be more discriminating with CG. And sometimes really the best way to look at a CG pose is to ask yourself, you know, how would I draw that? And then you can see the problems jumping out at you. And one last thing about just doing 2D, it's really fast. I mean, all you need is paper and a pencil and you don't even need to shoot it. You can flip it in your hands. But to have that skill to get animation ideas down on paper quickly is really valuable. And there's a lot more I could say, but those are just kind of two thoughts I had about that. So thanks for the message, Lexi. And um, I know it seems basic, but I can't stress enough to learn to draw as well as you possibly can. And finally, if you would like to comment or ask questions, go to my site at www.animationpodcast.com. And there you can find all the information you need to email me or leave a voice message, or you could just comment on any of the posts. So that will wrap it up for show five. And until next time, thanks for tuning in.